Would you stand and join me in reading God's Word? From the book of Acts, written by the Gospel writer Luke, the physician. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? Abba, Father, we come before you this morning to hear your word. Help us to realize that these words I just read were not just to those people there with Jesus. They are for us. Help us to realize that we already have the Holy Spirit on us. Help us to access, to pull out that power of the Holy Spirit. As we do our daily business, help us to minister to our family, friends, co-workers, but the places where we shop. Help us to remember to pray for those who are carrying the gospel around the world. Help us to think about those missionaries, mission trips that go out from Brentwood campus, all of our campuses. Father, I pray that this word would come alive in our spirits today so that we would leave this place changed, realizing we have the power of the Holy Spirit to witness. We bless you, Jesus, for these good words. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for putting that power on us, for going with us when you tell us to speak to someone. This is a prayer in Jesus' precious name, in his saving name. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Terry. Before we get started this morning, I want to take just a quick moment to do a preview of of where we're going to be going in our studies as as a congregation here over the next few weeks and months. A week from Tuesday, November 3rd, um, I think there's a couple of things going on in our country that day, maybe some stuff you're heard about, maybe some stuff you're anxious about, maybe some stuff you're worried about. Um, That day, we are all going to be bombarded with information. We are all going to be processing so many um, emotions, thoughts, ideas, fears, anxieties. We've got one more Sunday between now and Election Tuesday. First of all, let me ease your fears. We are not going to be preaching a political sermon that day. That's not what it's all about. But next Sunday, we are going to take time to remind ourselves of God's sovereignty. We are going to take time to remind ourselves of our identity 
of the unity of the body. And we are going to take an extended period of time, more so than we have ever done on a Sunday morning at the church at Lachlan Springs, in prayer and worship. It is going to be a beautiful, powerful Sunday, and I would encourage you to participate, whether you're in this room or uh, at home watching us online. Following that Sunday, we're going to spend the next three weeks, uh, November 8th, November 15th, and November 22nd, talking about the church, the global body of Christ, and this local expression of the body. The week after that is November 29th, four Sundays between now and November 29th, which, believe it or not, that's the beginning of Advent. As crazy as it sounds, we are almost there. This year, as we walk through the five Sundays of Advent, we are going to be focusing on the Gospel of Luke. And something I'm really excited about, as we start in the Gospel of Luke on November 29th, we are going to spend from that day until Easter morning in the Gospel of Luke. Five months, 20 Sundays, walking through Luke's telling of the life and ministry, the humanity and divinity, the power of Jesus Christ. Now, the Gospel of Luke is just one part of kind of Luke's masterwork. Luke wrote this incredible masterpiece in two parts to a man named Theophilus. First part is that Gospel of Luke where, where Luke talks about the life and ministry of Jesus, the humanity and divinity of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Luke ends with that glorious homecoming, the ascension as Jesus takes his rightful place at the right hand of the creator of the universe. Now, the second part of Luke's masterwork is known as the book of Acts. Its full title is the Acts of the Apostles. It's in, in this book that Luke lays out everything that happens in the days and weeks, months and years after the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and Acts, there in Acts chapter 1, starts with that glorious homecoming, the ascension as Jesus takes his rightful place at the right hand of the creator of the universe. The ascension, that's the, that's the hinge between the two parts of Luke's masterwork. Now, as, as Luke writes about the Acts of the Apostles the spread of the gospel and the growth of the early church. The events in this book are events that literally change the course of human history. And I do not use that word literally lightly. This is, this is not exaggeration. This is not hyperbole. These events changed Everything We stand here on October 25th, 2020. The reason we know it's October 25th, 2020 is because we follow a calendar based on the birth of this man, Jesus. A nobody man from a nobody town in the middle of nowhere. Eleven men left after his crucifixion. A small number of men and women that then took that message, spread the gospel, lit a fire, 
that consumed the entire known world within 300 years. How does that happen? How does that happen in a time not only before smartphones, before the internet, before any telephone of any kind, but before the printing press? How does that happen in a time not only before air travel, but before any motorized vehicles? No cars, no buses, no trains. No ease of travel at all. Events that changed the world. And it started with one misguided question. Acts chapter 1, this passage that Dr. Terry read for us this morning. It starts with Luke reminding Theophilus of, of the first part of his masterwork, the gospel. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Then Luke reminds Theophilus of where they left off, Christ's ascension. And he paints this picture of Jesus in his final moments with his disciples, with his closest followers, his final words to them. And there they stand, with Jesus, gathered. Now they don't know it's the last moments yet. Jesus has spent 40 days with them since the resurrection. If you remember the first time the resurrected Jesus appeared to the disciples there in the upper room, they were uncomfortable, to say the least. Scared, a little nervous, confused. A couple of them didn't even believe Jesus was real until they physically felt the wounds in his wrists and in his side. Now, after 40 days, over a month, they're a little more comfortable with this resurrected Jesus. He's appeared to them several times. He's appeared to a lot of other people. He's given many proofs of his resurrection physically, in body. And suddenly, here in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they, they ask the question that's probably been on the tips of their tongues for the last 40 days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? With that one seemingly benign question, we are once again reminded that these men and women still had a great deal of confusion and misconception about who Jesus was and what he was there to do. You see, they were still recalling a time that the nation of Israel was a, was a regional and really global political superpower when Israel was independent, was not under the Roman Empire, they had always been taught to believe that was going to happen again. And now, after 40 days with this resurrected Savior, they see the political potential here. The Messiah has come. Is now the time, Jesus? Is now the time you're going to reestablish the nation of Israel as a global superpower? Is now the time we're going to kick the Romans out? Is now the time we're going to take control? I mean... You beat death, that's kind of a big deal. People are going to listen to you. Is now the time? In verse 7, Jesus gives them a 
not so gentle rebuke. It's now the time, Jesus, you're going to reestablish Israel as a political and global power. And Jesus says, guys, you got it all wrong. You need to quit worrying about earthly things. You need to quit worrying about an earthly kingdom. You need to quit worrying about political power. That's got nothing to do with you. And then he gives them two statements of fact. Stop worrying about earthly power. But I've got good news for you. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. Two statements of facts. The first, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has talked to these men and women about the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact... Just 43, 44, 45 days before this, Jesus, in his last moments before his arrest and trial and torture and execution, there in the upper room with his disciples, he talks to them about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, he says, he says, you know what, guys? The time has come. I'm about to leave you. But it's okay. In fact, you're better off when I'm gone. Because when I leave, the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth, He comes and He will be with you forever. Now, the Bible, the New Testament specifically unpacks the Holy Spirit and the arrival of the Holy Spirit in several different places, perhaps most clearly in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writes, When you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, you were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the truth, when you heard the gospel, and when you believed, when you received, when you embraced Jesus Christ as Messiah, Lord, and Savior, at that moment you were sealed with that Holy Spirit that was promised to you. You received the indwelling of the power of God himself. Jesus tells his disciples, Stop worrying about earthly things, but know this. You will receive the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Statement of fact number one. Statement of fact number two. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, in Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. Now let's think about what Jesus says here and maybe just as importantly, what he doesn't say. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. 
What does he not say? You will receive the power and the Holy Spirit has come on you and you might be my witnesses. And you should be my witnesses. And you're supposed to be my witnesses. And I implore you to be my witnesses. He doesn't say, and you will be my witnesses when you feel like it. He doesn't say, and you will be my witnesses when you're in a good place spiritually. You will be my witnesses. When that one person finally asks you the question you've been waiting for them to ask you for 20 years. Travis, you don't cuss. I also want to not cuss. How can I do that? Jesus. That question never happens, guys. He doesn't say, you will be my witnesses when you graduate seminary. You will be my witnesses when you go into full-time ministry. You will be my witnesses when you have all the answers. You will be my witnesses when you have it all figured out. You see, oftentimes this verse, Acts 1-8, is taught as some sort of commission or command or encouragement. It is none of those things. You are not commissioned to be a witness. You are not commanded to be a witness. Hear me say this. If this morning you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a witness to a resurrected Savior. I'm going to say it again. If this morning you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a witness to a resurrected Savior. And that word witness, it means exactly what you think it means. Think back to all of the courtroom dramas you've watched. And you see the person on the witness stand, and they're asked what they saw or what they heard. They're asked what they know. They are not allowed to testify to what anybody else saw or what anybody else heard or what anybody else knows. As soon as I stand on the witness stand and say, Marvis told me that there will be an immediate objection. That's called hearsay. You cannot testify to anyone else's knowledge. You can only testify to first-hand, first-person experiences. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have first-hand experience with a living Savior. You are a witness, and people are watching. You receive the power, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit. You will be a witness in Jerusalem, in Judea in Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. Now, if you, like me, grew up in a church with pews just like this, there is a chance you have heard this verse preached a thousand times. If you, like me, grew up in a church with pews just like this, 
there is a chance you heard Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth taught as these kind of concentric circles, right? Jerusalem, home, where you're planted, friends, and family. And then we go a little bit further out, maybe throughout the city or even the region. And then all the way out to the borders of the country and then out to the ends of the earth. If you were taught that, let me be the one that tells you. The history of sociopolitics, cultural anthropology, geography, all question the accuracy of that teaching. Let's start with this fact. The men and women Jesus was speaking to in Acts 1.8, all of his disciples, none of them were from Jerusalem. The idea that being a witness in Jerusalem somehow represents being a witness at home is just factually inaccurate. None of them were from Jerusalem. None of them had ever lived in Jerusalem. None of them had ever worked in Jerusalem. None of them called Jerusalem home. Although all of them had been to Jerusalem, as a matter of fact, they had recently been in Jerusalem. This was only about six weeks after Palm Sunday. You guys remember Palm Sunday, triumphant entry. Jesus rides in on a donkey. The streets were lined with people singing his praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, glory be to the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Passover week in Jerusalem, everybody was there. We know the story of that week. We know how that week ended. The disciples were with Jesus when he was arrested. They heard the false accusations. They saw him being tortured. They saw him being executed. What did they do? They ran. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem wasn't home for them. Jerusalem was the location of their most recent, their most public, and their most spectacular failure. Jerusalem was the place they had a chance to make a stand. Jerusalem was the place they had a chance to finally do what they always said they would do. If that were me, this is what I would do. Jerusalem was the chance they had to stand up for the man that loved them so much. The son of God himself, the one that gave his life for them, and every single one of them chickened out. Jesus says, quit worrying about earthly power. But I've got good news for you. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And you get to be my witness in that place you just failed. 
you get to go back to the place that you were broken. You get to go back to that place that you did things you said you would never do. You get to go back to the place you denied me in both action and word. You get to be my witness there. Where is your Jerusalem? In that place, you will be a witness to a resurrected Savior. Jerusalem, Judea. Judea was the political region that surrounded Jerusalem, the capital city. Jerusalem was the southern province. Galilee was the northern province. They were separated by a great deal, not just geographically, but culturally. Galileans were considered to be kind of the backwoods country cousins of the educated, seemingly superior Judeans around the capital region. Culture in Judea would have been wildly unfamiliar to most Galileans. As a matter of fact, the great theologian and professor R.T. France writes, even an impeccably Jewish Galilean in first century Jerusalem was not among his own people. He was as much a foreigner as an Irishman in London or a Texan in New York. His accent would immediately mark him out as not one of us. And all the communal prejudice of the supposedly superior culture of the capital region would stand against his claim to be heard. You will be my witness in those places you have been dismissed. You will be my witness in those places. You were mocked for not having the right education, for not having the right pedigree, for not having all the answers. You will be my witness in those places that people wear religion like fine clothing and shun you maybe because you don't. You will be my witnesses in the places of your greatest insecurities. Where is your Judea? With the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you will be a witness in that place. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. The Bible tells us a lot about Samaria, about Samaritans. Most famously what? What's the most famous Samaritan story? Good Samaritan. There you go. Luke chapter 10. What do we know about the story of the Good Samaritan? You got a guy, he's walking along the road, he's robbed, he's beaten, he's left for dead. Several people pass by him. It was not the priest, the rabbi. The good Jew, the educated Levite. It was not those men that stopped to help him. They went to the other side of the road so they would not be considered unclean. The one that came by to help him was the Samaritan. Now the impact of that story comes from the fact that Samaritans and Jews had been at odds for centuries. Diverse not only ethnically and culturally, but religious mortal 
enemies. Jews had been taught their entire lives that Samaritans were unclean, unworthy, didn't have any value, often called them dogs. Jews had been taught their entire life that Samaritans were untrustworthy, that they were superior. The Samaritans, conversely, received all of that and returned it tenfold. For centuries, there was mistrust and hate, animosity between Jews and Samaritans. You will be my witness in Samaria. Amongst those people you have always taught to mistrust. Amongst those people you have always felt somewhere deep down inside you are better than. Amongst those people where seeds of bitterness and hatred have been sown. Amongst those people that may even hate you. With the indwelling indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witness in that place. Where is your Samaria? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I got bad news, guys. That last one means exactly what you think it means. We are blessed to live in a growing, dynamic, fluid, and increasingly diverse city. As such, we have so many opportunities to reach the world right here in Middle Tennessee. Ask Kobe and Bailey how many nationalities you can reach right here in Nashville. And we're blessed to have incredible partnerships, incredible connections with organizations that will allow you to do that. If that's something God has placed on your heart, find us afterwards and let us get get you connected with those opportunities. But make no mistake, Those opportunities do not absolve us of the fact that we are called to be witnesses beyond all cultural, political boundaries all the way to the end of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Those were the final words of Jesus Christ to his closest disciples, his closest friends, his closest followers. And then the great and glorious homecoming, the ascension right in front of them. And I love the picture that Luke paints for us in these following verses. As soon as Jesus says that, he is taken up to heaven to take his rightful place, the right hand of his father. Not surprisingly, everyone that saw that is standing there, staring up into the clouds, mouths agape. No idea what to do. No idea what they've just seen. And then in verse 11, we've got two angels. Perfect mirror of the two angels we have standing outside the empty tomb. Why are you here? Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Two angels 
Y'all, why are you still looking up in the sky? He's gone just like he said he would be. It's go time. Does anybody remember Ferris Bueller's Day Off? 1986 cinematic classic. To my knowledge, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was the first movie that had the the mid-credits scene. If you hung around in the movie theater all the way through the credits, suddenly Ferris Bueller pops back up. And he looks at anybody left in the theater and he says, why are you still here? It's over. Go on. Every time I read Acts 111, that's what I see these angels telling these men and women, what are you still doing here? You heard the man. It's time to go. From that moment, within three centuries, the gospel had taken over the entire known world. Mere days later, We're at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The entire Jewish world had descended upon Jerusalem for this incredible festival. Peter finds himself standing in front of a crowd. Peter, the man that was so terrified just a couple of months earlier during Jesus' trial and execution that he denied he ever knew Jesus Christ to a tiny young child. That same man stands in front of a crowd in Jerusalem a couple of months later and and read with me Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 22. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Continuing down in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father The promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make enemies, make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses, starting in the place of their greatest failure, Jerusalem. 
received power indeed. Cowards that fled any prospect of danger two months later, boldly declaring Jesus as the Messiah. Every one of them witnesses to the very end of their life, not just in that moment when they had all of the adrenaline, when they had the mountaintop experience. Every one of them till the day they died, the power of the Holy Spirit, a witness to an empty tomb. If you are a Christ follower, you have received that same power. If you are a Christ follower, you are a witness in that same manner. A witness to an empty tomb, a witness to a living, resurrected Savior. You have firsthand knowledge of the Messiah. Makes a lot of y'all nervous. I don't have all the answers. Still confused about some things. Not exactly sure how far down the path I am on my own faith journey. I'm not ready. You are, and it's okay. If you do not know what we're talking about this morning, hear me say this and hear me say it clearly. This man, Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% divine, completely human, and the Son of God, came here to this place to take on your sin, pay the ultimate price on the cross, so that that price would be paid now and forever. But it did not end then. Three days later, there was an empty tomb. Death itself was defeated. So that we may know a living Savior, and you can know him this morning. We are all witnesses. Would you pray with me? Lord, I am so grateful and so blessed to get to wear several hats in my life, to get to play several roles in my life. I get to be a husband. I get to be a father. I get to be a pastor. But even more than any of those, I get to be a witness. You have promised each one of us the power of the Holy Spirit and the identity as a witness to a living Savior. As it has been said, may it be so. We pray these things in your name. Amen.